Thanks for tuning in with us here at City Church Garland for our Life Matters series in the book of Ecclesiastes. This is Pastor Keith. May God fill you with wisdom as you listen in to his words from the preacher. Ecclesiastes, I've, I've thought several times throughout this series how, how fitting this book is for us to study right now. The, the book of Ecclesiastes is loaded with realism. It expounds on the, the brokenness of this post-Genesis 3 world in which we live in, where there's sickness, injustice, where there's uh, misuse of power, where there is death, where there is disappointment where there are tragic, tragic events that happen to all people, uh, Christians and non-Christians, uh, godly and ungodly. 2020 has felt like an Ecclesiastes kind of year in many ways, and it's been an opportunity for us. We've had so many opportunities during this time to trust God, to be faithful in walking with Him, trusting Him, and to see Him show up on our behalf and walk with us through this valley that we're, we're going through. And so I just want to encourage uh, you all uh, to continue to do that. Continue to keep your eyes on, on the Lord. And let's get wisdom. During this time, we need wisdom. This book is wisdom literature uh, in the Bible. And it's given so that the people of God might experience wisdom and live well through the wisdom that God gives us through this book. Um, today we're going to be talking about the path of wisdom from Ecclesiastes chapter 9. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. And I'm going to go ahead and read from starting in verse 1. But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. It is the same for all. Since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and to him who does not sacrifice, as the good one is, so is the sinner. And the one who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to us all. Also, the hearts of the children of men are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live. After that, they go to the dead. He who is joined with all the living has hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten." Their love and their hate, their envy, have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Here's our big idea, uh, namely that wisdom teaches us to live well in light of the certainty of death and the unpredictability of life by enjoying God's gifts and working hard. Wisdom teaches us to live well in light of the certainty of death and the unpredictability of life by enjoying God's gifts and working hard. Over and over again, 
the book of Ecclesiastes has confronted us with the reality of death. We're reminded that we're all going to die. And, and 2020 really has done that as well. We've experienced that uh, in 2020, the, the, just being confronted with the frailty of life, the brevity of life, the uncertainty of life, and the certainty of death. And one of the ways the book of Ecclesiastes teaches us to live well is by reflecting on the reality that we're all going to die. Uh, if this sounds familiar, it is because he has said this over and over again. Death is certain. It's inevitable. He, he, he commands us, uh, to, or he instructs us to, to reflect on the reality of death, but also he exhorts us to enjoy life and fear God while we're living. Uh, the first point that i like to highlight here is that wisdom teaches us uh, in verse 1 that we're in God's hands. We're in God's hands. Verse 1 says um, uh, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. This is important for us while we're going through a time of trial, while we're going through a time of testing, while we're facing uncertainty, while uh, we're confronted with the reality of death. It's important for us to realize we're in God's hands. And not just, not just mentally, okay, but emotionally embrace the reality that we are in God's hands. He holds our life in his hands. As the children's song uh, goes, he's got the whole world in his hands. And so we believe that. We believe that as Christians, that through this pandemic, God has got us in his hands. God has my wife and my family in his hands. Though we're walking through this time of sickness. And though you're going through the, a difficult time, and, and those of you who are watching who are going through a difficult time, God has you in his hands. And he's not going to let go. He never Let's go. I love the old Matt Redman song. Oh, you never let go. Oh, no, you never let go. Through the calm and through the storm. You, oh, no, you never let go. You never let go of me. Uh, the bridge says, I can see a light that is coming for a heart that holds on. I can see a light that is coming for a heart that holds on. There will be an end to these troubles. But until that day comes, still I will praise you, still I will praise you. And so let us be encouraged by this nugget of wisdom, by this truth, by this reality that God is holding us in his hands. That what we're going through right now is no surprise to him. He didn't get caught off guard. He's not worried. He's not fretting what, what to do about what to do for us and for our lives. His plans will be fulfilled. And his hands will continue to hold us firmly. And so let us trust him in that. Let us find comfort in that and delight in that. And praise Him for that reality. As David said in, in Psalm, Psalm 31, 15. He said, My times are in your hands. My times are in your hand. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies and from my persecutors. 
Make your face shine on your servant. Save me in your steadfast love. We are in the hands of God. And though we're in the hands of God, and though God is with us, and though we have hope in this life, and the hope that, that goes beyond this life, we all face the reality of death. Um, this, this particular uh, portion of Ecclesiastes reminds us again of the reality of death, but also the sinfulness of humanity. Notice in verse uh, 3, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil and madness in their hearts while they live. And then he reminds us in verse 5, for the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. The Bible connects this idea of sin and death. The Bible gives us a worldview uh, that helps us understand why death and suffering is in the world. Uh, we don't understand all the details of it and why it happens to certain people and not to others uh, or aspects of it, of the suffering. As I mentioned at the beginning of this series, the book of Ecclesiastes helps strengthen us with a biblical worldview and how we see the world, how we see humanity, how we see ourselves, how we see God, the reality of the sinfulness of man. At the end of uh, Ecclesiastes 7.29, says, but I did find this, that God created people to be virtuous. God created people to be virtuous, but they have turned to follow their own downward path. You see, when we look at the brokenness of this world, we can't blame God for the way that it is. Because we're taught in, in the beginning of Scripture, in Genesis 1, that everything that God created in this world was good. Everything was good. There was only one thing that wasn't good, and it, it's that man, would, would, that man uh, should be alone. It's not good for man to be alone, God said. And God did something about that, and he provided community. He provided a wife for, for Adam. And so we see the goodness in creation from the, from the biblical narrative. But then we see in Genesis 3, we, see, we have this perspective and why the world is the way that it is. Why is it broken? Why is there sickness, suffering, and death in the world? Why is work so frustrating? Uh, why do, do, do certain things not happen the way that we think they should in life? The Bible teaches us that sin leads to death. And the Bible t teaches us that we've all sinned. Uh, Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Ephesians 2 uh, verse 3 says, uh, We all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature's children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. In the beginning, God told Adam and Eve, Don't eat from the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because you'll die. Okay, when they did, when they ate from the fruit, they ate the fruit from the tree, uh, they let death into the world, and eventually they did die. And so that's why the world is the way that it is. God has created mankind to be virtuous, to, to be righteous, and godly, and do what's good and right, but, but we've all turned away from God. We've all gone our own way. We've all sinned. And so that ex helps explain a part of why we experience what we do in this world. And as a result of that sin, uh, there's death. 
That's why there's death in the world. The wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. There's, there's many skeptics who uh, choose to not believe in God because they have a hard time reconciling a good, all-powerful God with the brokenness of this world. Suffering and sickness and death and injustice. And, and the reality is, it's not God's fault. It's not God's fault that we're experiencing what we're experiencing. Ultimately, it's mankind's fault because we've sinned against God. Adam and Eve have sinned, but then we've all contributed. We've all contributed to the sin of this world, to the brokenness of this world. We've all uh, disobeyed God, and God did something about it. God did something about it from the, from the beginning. God clothed Adam and Eve. Uh, they were ashamed that they were naked after they sinned. God clothed them. God did something about our sin by sending His Son, Jesus Christ, into the world to die for us, to, to bear on Himself the sin of the world so that we can experience forgiveness, redemption, and be clothed in His righteousness. And, and so God has done something about the sickness and the suffering and the brokenness of this world, the, the, the greatest problem that we all face, the death. God has done something about it. It wasn't his fault from the beginning. Mankind disobeyed God. Ecclesiastes 7.29 uh, helped highlight that reality of, that, of the, the biblical narrative and giving us a biblical worldview uh, helped strengthen that. And, and, and God acted and has acted throughout history. He's intervened. He's, he's sent prophets and messengers. And, and then he sent his son. And Jesus, the son of God, became a man and entered into our suffering. Experienced suffering. Uh, suffered with us. Suffered for us. And then overcame death for us that we might experience salvation. And so Hebrews 4 tells us that we have a, a sympathetic high priest, one who can sympathize with our weaknesses because he was tempted in all points of sin as we are, yet he was without sin. And yet he bore our sin and he took our place. And so he's provided a way for us to experience his mercy and his grace when we come to him. He clothes us with his righteousness. And he walks with us, giving us his presence, giving us his promises, giving us a hope so that, so that though we grieve the brokenness of this world, we don't grieve without hope. And so God has answered mankind's greatest dilemma, greatest problem of death and, and sin by sending his son Jesus to take our place. The sinless son of God who died in our place. And so the book of Ecclesiastes helps whet our appetite for that good news. It helps stir in us a greater appreciation for that good news because the book of Ecclesiastes has expounded on the bad news that we all need to, to reflect on enough so that we can prepare well to die and live well while we're alive. So Jesus died for our sins, was buried, was raised from the grave. And so that brings us... To our next point, the reality that God has given us gifts within this life to enjoy. Uh, wisdom teaches us to enjoy life. Uh, it, it doesn't just stay throughout this book. 
He's confirmed us with the reality of death, but he's also highlighted over and over and over the, the gifts of God that we are to enjoy. We're commanded to enjoy. God is honored when we enjoy the gifts that he has given us. Notice in verse 7, he says, Go eat your bread with joy. Drink your wine with a merry heart. For God has already approved what you do. Let your garments always be white. Let no oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life. Enjoy life. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love. All the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun. Because that is your portion in this life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. So enjoy life. Enjoy the food, the simple things in life. I've said this over and over. The preacher, Solomon, highlights this. This is how we live well. This is how we make the most of our days. Enjoy them as a gift from God rather than seeking some gain that we desire in this life. Rather than seeking some gain from all our anxious toil, receive life as a gift and enjoy it as a gift from the hand of the Almighty. He says, go eat your bread with joy. Enjoy food. The simplicity of food. Aren't you glad that God has given us taste buds? That we can enjoy some good barbecue, brisket barbecue, right? Some, some Chick-fil-A with some Chick-fil-A sauce and dip those nuggets in the sauce. Some ice cream, right? Aren't, aren't you thankful that, that God didn't just like make us uh, get nourishment from, from tissues with something that doesn't have any flavor or taste or much to it? God's, God's given us the gift of food to be able to enjoy it. And I think the Bible indicates that there will be some food in heaven. There will be feasting in heaven. So enjoy what you have here in this world. Enjoy the simplicity of your food. Enjoy, if you're married, enjoy your spouse. Husbands, enjoy your wife. You are commanded to enjoy your wife. Take delight in her. Find enjoyment in your wife. And wives, enjoy your husbands as well. Enjoy the gift of one another while you have one another. Enjoy your children. Enjoy the relationships and the friendships that you have. Ecclesiastes has already taught us that two are better than one. Ecclesiastes has taught us the, the, the goodness of relationships. So enjoy those relationships. Don't neglect the relationships. Don't, don't allow yourself to become isolated and neglect the, the gift of enjoying one another's presence. Do so wisely while, while we're going through this pandemic. He says, drink your wine with a merry heart. Uh, he commends drinking wine here. Of course, the Bible forbids getting drunk. Uh, but, but here we see, in, in other places, we see a commending of drinking some wine, having a glass of wine, and enjoying that wine. And it says, for God has already approved of what you do. One of the ways that theologians describe this is that this is God's will. This is what God wants. God finds pleasure in you and I enjoying the simple gifts that he gives us, like a parent does, and, and finding delight and giving gifts to their children and their children, seeing 
their, their, their children enjoy those gifts. I'd like to read briefly from a, a section here in a book called Living Life Backward by David Gibson, subtitled, uh, How Ecclesiastes Teaches Us to Live in Light of the End. This is probably one of my favorite books uh, to, to accompany the study of the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, it's been really good. It's a great exposition of Ecclesiastes. But he quotes uh, somebody here describing uh, what it looks like for us to enjoy life. He says, ride a bike, see the Grand Canyon, go to the theater, learn to make music, visit the sick, care for the dying, cook a meal, feed the hungry, watch a film, read a book, laugh with some friends until it makes you cry, play football, run a marathon, snorkel in the ocean, listen to Mozart, ring your parents, write a letter. Play with your kids, spend your money, learn a language, plant a church, start a school, speak about Christ, travel to somewhere you've never been, adopt a child, give away your fortune, and then some, shape someone else's life by laying down your own. And there's probably many other ways that you can describe how to live your life well by enjoying your life. You know, he also says in this section, let your garments always be white and let no oil be lacking on your head. One of the ways that that's described there is dressing up, putting on white garments. Uh, you, you also have imagery of a wedding as well, uh, the celebration. He says, let your garments always be white. You know, it's good to get dressed up sometimes and, and just... Go out. If you're married, uh, get dressed up and take your spouse on a date. Enjoy some time with, with your wife. It's, it's good to, to go through life to just, just care for yourself in, 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 a basic, in a healthy way. Take care of yourself. Dress up. Put oil on your head. Put some hair gel in, right? Shave, you know. Take care of yourself and enjoy life as a gift from God's hand. So wisdom teaches us to do that. It also teaches us to work hard at whatever we do. Verse 10 says, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom and shield to where you are going. Uh, remember, as I've said over and over uh, in this series, that, that work was something that God had given humanity before the fall, before uh, Genesis chapter 3. Uh, and so... So work in and of itself isn't a curse, it's a blessing. It's, it's, it's a God-given activity. Um, but one of the problems with our work is that after Genesis 3, uh, work has become frustrating at times, or often. Uh, we struggle in our work. We have to toil and experience, and that, uh, experience this frustration with our work, and that's a part of the fall. That's a part of the, the struggle that we experience with our work. But, but he tells us here, instead of when, when we think about the reality that life is brief and, and, and death is certain, that we're going to die, that shouldn't lead us to, to be lazy and passive and, and not do anything with our lives. We still should work hard. Work hard while you are alive, while you have opportunity to do something productive 
with your hands. You have opportunity to honor God with the work of your hands. Opportunity to help others with the work of your hands. Opportunity to enjoy doing work as unto the Lord. Enjoy your God-given work. In the New Testament, we're exhorted, Colossians 3, 23 and 24, it says, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for man. Not for men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. And so here's an exhortation from the New Testament to, uh, to servants. Or we might apply this to employees. But I think, I think every Christian should adopt this work ethic. Because we believe that the gospel shapes how we view our work, how we do our work, and why we do our work. We do it as unto the Lord. We do it because God sees and God is honored when we when we work hard. And we don't do it to try to earn our favor with God. We don't try to work hard to earn salvation. That work has been earned for us by Jesus. That work is finished. And we receive what Jesus has done for us. And that frees us up. That frees us up to work heartily as unto the Lord knowing that we're already accepted, we're already loved, we're already a part of the family of God, but God will reward faithfulness and diligence in our work. And so we work hard with whatever we do. So enjoy your work, work hard, honor God in it, help others in your work. Your work matters. As I've said a couple times in this series, uh, seek to find that intersection where God's work in your work intersect. Seek to find that intersection where God's work and your work intersect. Uh, invite God in to your, to your work life. As you work, uh, ask Him for guidance and to, to lead you. And look and observe and see where God is working in the lives of others. And join in with what He's doing. Amen? So what we do does matter. It's better to be alive. He uses this uh, in verse 4, this, this analogy. He says, uh, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. And uh, David Gibson just comments on that, just saying that to be alive is to have the day of opportunity in our hands in a way that we do not have when we're dead. So we have opportunity now. There, there are certain things that we won't be able to do in heaven and in the age to come, but that we can do now. There's one thing particularly, and that is evangelize, share the gospel with an unbeliever in heaven. But we can do that now. We have the opportunity to do that now because everyone in heaven will be believers. They will be uh, people who, children of God, who know God and love God and are loved by God and have received the free gift of God in Christ Jesus, the free gift of salvation through faith. And so we can now, one of the things that we can do, one of the ways that our work really matters now, is we can share the gospel with people. And somebody can come to trust in Jesus and know Jesus and experience eternal life now throughout all eternity. And so our work does matter. What we do with our lives now does matter. Amen? Next thing, verse 11 is that wisdom teaches us that many things in life are unpredictable. 
Many things in life are unpredictable. Look at verse 11 there. It says, Again, I saw that under the sun the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor the bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time. Like fish that are taken in an evil net, and like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. Now let me first say that, that this isn't pagan fatalism, uh, but rather it's the reality that from our human perspective, we can't see the future and we don't fully know uh, God's plans. But we trust that our life is in His hands. Uh, but we, we don't know what's going to happen. There, there are a lot of uncertainties to us. Now, God knows everything. And God is in charge. And God is sovereign. And, and the book of Ecclesiastes has already emphasized that. God's work. Man can't figure it out. You look at Ecclesiastes 3, 11, uh, 7, 13, and 14. Ecclesiastes 8, 17. Man has a hard time looking at and seeing the big picture. We're limited in our knowledge. We're limited in our power. We're limited by time and space. But God is not. He's transcendent. He's sovereign. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. And so for us, as we're living our lives in this broken world, this Genesis, post-Genesis 3 world, uh, there are things that happen that are just unpredictable to us. He describes it as the race is not to the swift, the battle not to the strong, the bread to the wise, or riches to the intelligent. Uh, or favor to those with knowledge, but, but time and chance happen to them all. And, and, and so there, there's things that are unpredictable to us. We don't, we don't see them coming. Sometimes the scrawny guy knocks out the excessively fit guy who lives in the gym uh, when they get in a conflict at the bar, right? Uh, sometimes the little scrawny guy gets him with a sucker punch and he, and he takes them out. Or uh, think of uh, the worst football team. Uh, I'm just going to throw out uh, maybe the, the Browns. Uh, sometimes the Browns beat the Patriots. Kids, remember the, the tortoise and the hare. The story of the tortoise and the hare. The, uh, the, the fast rabbit, you know, who uh, was, was taking his time and he thought he had the race. He was the swift one, right? But who ended up winning the race? It was the tortoise. It was the slow guy. So the race doesn't always go to the fastest person. It's not always the fastest person who wins the race. Uh, sometimes it's, the, it's the, uh, the PhD, the guy who has his PhD that struggles to land a desirable job while the high school dropout uh, gets his dream job. Uh, you know, sometimes it's the, the godly parents in the prime of their life that get sideswiped side by street racers driving recklessly. Like what happened recently to, uh, to some folks that, that my, my wife knows. Sometimes a global pandemic hits the world and wrecks all our plans for the year. Right? And sometimes the healthy eating, gym going, vitamin taking, filtered water drinking person gets cancer and dies young. And so the unpredictable happens in this life. And so... Uh, we're, we're to <clears throat> expect that it happens, it's going to happen, uh, and, and we may not be able to explain it and understand why certain things happen, but we trust that we're in God's hands. Uh, as the, uh, There's a song 
written by Robin Mark that says, uh, All is well with my soul. He is God in control. I know not all his plans, but I know I'm in his hands. I know not all his plans, but I know I'm in his hands. Amen? And so wisdom teaches us that there, there are many things that are unpredictable. James 4.13 gives us this wisdom in the New Testament. Come now you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a while, for a little time, and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. Uh, this is a wonderful passage to, to reflect on in light of 2020 and how we are to approach making plans and how we are to, to view our lives, our life. Uh, this is very much in, in the same vein of Ecclesiastes, what, what Solomon has expounded on, namely the brevity of life. You know, for, for, you, for you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Remember Hebel trying to grab the smoke or trying to grab the bubbles, that, that elusiveness, uh, that enigma. Hebel sometimes translated uh, meaningless or vanity uh, is another translation. Here, James is talking about the brevity of life, and, and Ecclesiastes already, has already done that. And so James tells us that when we, in our planning, as when we're thinking ahead, when we're talking about what we're going to do, we should have this humble posture, this humble recognition that if God wills, we'll do this or that. You see, we're not the, the captains of our uh, destiny. We're not uh, the ones who uh, can sustain our own lives. Our lives are dependent upon God and His gracious giving of breath to us and a heartbeat in life. And so that should be our attitude when it comes to planning for the future. Also, James 3.17 says, Wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, and good fruits, impartial and sincere. May God give us that kind of wisdom from above. As we're studying this book, we need it <clears throat> this year. We need it to, to live well through this pandemic, to avoid uh, making poor choices that would lead to painful consequences. My next point is, is that wisdom is better than power and wealth and recognition. This is my last point, by the way. Wisdom is better than power, wealth, and recognition. Look with me at verse 13. I've also seen this example of wisdom under the sun. It is seemed, it, and it seemed great to me that there was a little city with a few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, and, and building great siege works against it. But there was, a, there was found in it a poor wise man, and he, by his wisdom, delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might. 
though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. The words of the wise are heard in quiet. I'm sorry. The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Aren't these words relevant to us? One sinner destroys much good. Uh, wisdom. He, Solomon teaches us that wisdom is better than power. It's better than wealth. And it's better than recognition. It's better than being the person who's always getting the attention, who's always being heard. The one who has the, the loudest um, shouts. Um, wisdom teaches us to be content in obscurity. Okay, here's this wise man who uh, who's not really known. He's a poor wise man, and it says that the words, his words, or the, the wise, um, the words of the wise heard in quiet are better than shouting of a ruler. Um, this guy didn't get recognition. Uh, he had the ability through wisdom to deliver the city. Uh, and, and yet no one remembered this poor man. He, his words were despised and not heard. He was, he was in a, uh, obscurity. Um, and so wisdom teaches us to live contently in obscurity um, and, and trust God. Um, it's better than power. It's better than wealth. We've already seen that in the book. And let me just close with a few points of application here. Um, Recognize that death is unavoidable and prepare for it by living well in relationship with God, remembering Him, reverencing Him, relying on Him, and obeying Him. Accept your food, your relationships, and work as God's gifts and enjoy it as His will. Accept your food and relationships and work as God's gifts and enjoy it as His will. And lastly, be content with the wisdom. Be content with wisdom and little recognition or riches. Be content with what you have in this life.
again for tuning in to the City Church Garland podcast in our Life Matters series on the book of Ecclesiastes. We hope that you were encouraged and that God gave you a nugget of wisdom to apply to your life as you navigate through these difficult times. May God bless you.